This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. Welcome to the Search for Certainty. It's good to see you all here again as we continue on this journey through God's Word and discovering how we can be prepared for the soon return of Jesus. As we're all aware, we live in times of great uncertainty, but I thank God for His Word that in His Word we can have certainty. We can discover real hope for the future in His Word. And today's the third presentation in this series as we take a look at the most important signs that Jesus gave us that will indeed usher in His second coming. I've entitled this message, The Grand Climax of Human History. I want to begin by asking the question that many people are asking, and that is, how will this world end? There are a number of suggestions that have been put forward. The first one being global nuclear war. And as we discovered in a previous presentation, for the first time in human history, we have the capability to actually destroy our world many times over through nuclear means. A doomsday asteroid, as we know, there's many of them floating around not far from planet Earth. Will one of them usher in the end as we know it? A fatal disease. Jesus spoke of fatal diseases. He spoke of pestilences. Will it be a fatal disease that wipes out humans on planet Earth? Or will it be global warming, as many are predicting? How will this world end? If you speak to if you speak to Hollywood, Hollywood has many ideas and they've put out many movies um, in recent times, end of days movies, including the, the latest one, 2012, um, which based on the Mayan calendar, uh, supposedly predicted the end of the world on December 21, 2012. How will this world end? Today, we're not going to go to Hollywood. Today, instead, as always, we're going to go to God's holy word. We're going to discover in God's holy word how this world will indeed reach its grand climax. But as always, before we open up God's word, what do we need to do? We need to pray. We need to pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the pages of this book will inspire us through the words of Jesus today. So let's just do that right now and pray and ask God to lead. Father in heaven. We humbly ask and pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writers of the Bible with your word, Father, that that same Holy Spirit will inspire us, impress upon us the words of Jesus, these beautiful words that are designed to prepare us to be ready for the soon return of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So as we open your word, open our hearts and our minds, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Once again, I'd like to take us all to the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, that beautiful ancient city that I've had the privilege of going to. And it was a wonderful experience. The city of Jerusalem, where Jesus spent his final hours before the crucifixion. On one occasion, Matthew records the words that Jesus shared with his disciples and what took place. We've been to these words before and let's go there again today as we begin this journey. In Matthew 24 verse 1, Matthew records, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Now the temple was a magnificent uh, building. 
It was the pride of the nation. And so the disciples wanted to cheer Jesus up because if you're reading the preceding verses in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus leaves the temple for the last time and he says, your house is left to you desolate. He weeps over Jerusalem and and the people of Jerusalem that have rejected their Messiah and the destruction that will come upon Jerusalem. And so the disciples are trying to cheer up Jesus and they're saying, look at this temple, this magnificent temple. Notice in the book of Mark, what Mark records the disciples sharing with Jesus. Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. I mean, the temple was was built with stones that were up to 60 tons. Some some 90 feet long, or I should say 60 feet long, 9 feet wide, 9 feet high. This was an incredible building that King Herod had lavished with with much gold and, and just the best resources available in the then known world. It really was a beautiful building. But notice here what Jesus says to the disciples. In Matthew 24, verses 2 and 3, And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things, that is, this temple, these incredible stones? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as far as the the disciples were concerned, they equated the destruction of the temple, the pride of the nation of Israel. They associated the destruction of the temple with the second coming of Jesus. And so they thought it would be the one and the same event. Jesus then, in our previous presentation, we discovered, gave the disciples signs that would that would bring about the destruction of Jerusalem or signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem. Those same signs would not only precede the destruction of Jerusalem, but as we've discovered thus far, those same signs would also precede the second coming of Jesus. Signs in the religious world, signs in the world of politics, where there'd be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, all these things preceded the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, some 40 years after Jesus shared this prophecy. Now, what happened in 70 AD? The Roman general Titus, he surrounded and besieged the city, besieged the city of Jerusalem. And in 70 AD, He ultimately was able to overthrow the city and the temple was destroyed. Even though Titus gave clear commands that the temple was not to be touched, the soldiers, one of the soldiers threw in in a, a flame and the temple just went up in smoke. Now, it's interesting that the words of Jesus that he shared concerning not one stone being left upon another were fulfilled because once the fires died down, the soldiers realized that there was an enormous amount of gold that had become embedded in between the stones. And in order to get to that gold, what did they do? They pulled every stone apart. And so the words of Jesus, not one stone shall be left upon another, were fulfilled to the very letter. Now, Jesus gave them warnings. Jesus gave an opportunity for those that would heed his word to escape. Notice what we find in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15 and 16. Therefore, 
when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, what was Jesus here speaking of when he was speaking of this prophecy given in the book of Daniel concerning the abomination of desolation? Well, in Daniel chapter 9, there is a prophecy concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. We don't have time to get into that today. But there, the prophet Daniel described what would happen at the end of the nation of Israel as far as God's chosen ambassadors to the world. And what would bring an end to that? Now, Jesus here says, whoever reads, let him understand. Let him understand. Those who read the words of Jesus understood that this was a clear sign that the destruction of Jerusalem was imminent. In fact, in Luke chapter 21, in Luke 21, verse 20, notice what Jesus here said. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Before 70 AD, the Romans sent their general Cestius Gallus in 67 AD, and he surrounded Jerusalem for the first time. However, mysteriously, historians are not quite sure what happened, but mysteriously, he just drew back. As Cestius was on the verge of overtaking Jerusalem, he drew back and the Jewish army chased him and, and, and killed many soldiers of the Romans. Now, the Christians saw that as the sign. They saw that as the sign, its desolation is near. And every single Christian that heeded the words of Jesus, they immediately left Jerusalem and they went away to a city called Pella, there in modern day Jordan today, where they escaped and where they were able to live on. In 70 AD, three years later, uh, Titus came and there was no second chance. Did Jesus give the warning? He absolutely gave the warning. I love this promise in the book of Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Surely the Lord God does what? Nothing. Nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. This is a wonderful promise that God gives us in his word. God doesn't do anything of eternal significance that affects you and affects me, affects this world without him first sharing that message through his servants, the prophets who write it in this book, the Bible. Every single person in Jerusalem who heeded the words of Jesus that he gave some 40 years before its destruction saved their lives. Sadly, more than a million Jews lost their lives when Jerusalem was overthrown, but not one Christian died during that siege. Like Jerusalem of old, Jesus predicted that our world before his coming, would also face a stupendous crisis. Notice these words that we find in Matthew chapter 24 and verses 21 and 22. For then there will be great what? Tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, this is a prophecy concerning the end of time, as well as a period in history known as the Dark Ages. Two periods of time. One that lasted more than a thousand years. It was the longest period of persecution and tribulation. The other at the end of time is a short period of time, but the intensity of that persecution will be like at no other time in human history. 
So Jesus said there would be this great tribulation at the end of time. Now, the book of Daniel gives us some more insights. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, Daniel wrote these words. At that time, Michael, and Michael here is another name for Christ. Michael simply means one who is like God. Michael or Christ shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Wow. So the book of Daniel is describing a time of trouble at the end of time, such as this world has never experienced. Now, has this world seen some time of trouble? Absolutely. We have seen some turbulent times, especially in the past century. World War One, World War Two, terrible times. But that will not compare, according to the book of Daniel, to what is coming. Now, here Daniel speaks of each person who is written in the book is delivered at that time of trouble. Now, what is that book? Notice the words that we find in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of what? The book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So this book that Daniel speaks of is the book of life. A wonderful book of life. Now the Bible gives us another name for this book of life. Notice these words that we find in the book of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of what? Of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. So the book of life is also referred to as the book of remembrance. Now, what's so significant about the book of remembrance? If we go together to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and verse 37, notice what Jesus said. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, we've already looked at the days of Noah as far as the social world is concerned. But now let's take a look at something that we haven't looked at thus far. I want to share with you something that is absolutely fascinating and incredible that I discovered only a short time ago. Before I do, I want to ask you to think about archery. How many of you are familiar with archery? Okay, or you're familiar with darts. Where is the greatest score in archery to be found? In the very center. Okay, in the very center there, you have what we call the bullseye. Isn't that right? We have the bullseye. Now, the way the Hebrews wrote and the way the story of Noah is written is that the most important part of the story is, guess where? In the center, in the middle, the bullseye. Now, I have placed for you here the story of Noah. Okay, the first part, the seven days of waiting for the rain, corresponds with the last part of the story, seven days of waiting to send the second bird. The second part, seven days of waiting for the flood, corresponds with the second last, seven days of waiting to send the first bird, and so on and so forth. You can see that up there on the screen. Notice what is in the very center of the story of Noah. Notice the bullseye of the story, the most important part of the story is this. God remembered Noah. Isn't that wonderful? We read earlier on that there is a book of remembrance. 
And the Bible says that God remembered Noah. What did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be just before I come. So those individuals who are in my book of life, in my book of remembrance, they will be safe and secure just like Noah and his family were safe and secure. Isn't that good news? That is great news. The days of Noah are not all about doom and gloom and lawlessness and corruption and violence and population explosions. Yes, that is all part of the days of Noah. But the best thing about the days of Noah is that God remembered Noah and God will remember you and God will remember me. I love what Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8 says. But Noah found what? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So how can you, how can I, how can we find grace in the eyes of the Lord? How can we, just like Noah, be ready for the coming of Jesus? Noah and his family, they were ready for the flood, weren't they? How can we be ready for the coming of Jesus? Today, we want to take a look at the most important sign of all. The one that has everything to do with your preparation and mine. The one that will prepare us to also find grace in the eyes of the Lord. The one that will prepare us that no matter the time of trouble that we are living in, that our names will be firmly found written in the Lamb's book of life, as the book of Revelation puts it. So today we want to take a look at the most important sign, the sign in the religious world. We've taken, a look at, we've taken a look at signs in the political world, in the world of nature, and we've taken a look at signs in the social world, and we've looked at signs in the economic world. But today, the most important sign, signs in the religious world. Let's go to the words of Jesus once again. We've been there before briefly, but now we want to unpack this all-important sign a little more carefully. Matthew 24 and verses 4 and 5, Jesus went on, and after he was asked the question, Will this bring the end of the world, the destruction of Jerusalem? Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, that is to his disciples, Take heed that no one what? Deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. The very first thing that Jesus says is watch out. There will be great deception, not only prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, but more importantly, as far as we're concerned, some 2,000 years on, before the coming of Jesus. Watch out, deception will be, will be something that will be everywhere. And that's especially in the religious world. In fact, they were deceived, as we'll discover, appears not once, not twice, but some four times in this chapter. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Many have claimed to be Christ. David Koresh. Some of you are familiar with David Koresh in 1993. Sadly, him and his followers um, died in that terrible tragedy there in Waco. Here in Australia, we have our own version of Jesus Christ, an individual by the name of Alan Miller. He lives in Queensland there in what's considered to be the Bible Belt. And his followers believe that he is Jesus Christ. His wife, who is Mary Luck, says that she is Mary Magdalene. And so there are men and women that are part of this commune. In fact, he was on Current Affair not so, well, a number of years ago. He was on one of our, one of our news programs on television, A Current Affair. He has his own website entitled Divine Truth. And he has on there, Welcome by Jesus and Mary. 
welcomed by Jesus and Mary. Now, you may be thinking, I'm not going to get caught up in following a David Koresh or in following an Alan Miller. And that's true. That's true. The majority of us will not get caught up in something like that. However, the significance of Jesus' words is that there will be many false Christs at the end of time. Now, Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the the truth and the life. Anyone, anyone, no matter who they are, who is teaching a different way of salvation, is teaching a different way to heaven, is a false Christ. They are, they, are, they are sharing something that takes people away from Christ, takes people away from the plans that he has for them in his word. Jesus also went on in Matthew 24, 11, He said that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. There have been many false prophets down through the centuries. One recent false prophet that predicted the coming of Jesus um, in 2011 was a gentleman by the name of Harold Camping. How many of you remember hearing about Harold Camping? He's passed away now, but he predicted that Jesus uh, would come secretly on May 21, 2011. And five months later, he would come gloriously. Now, a false prophet, who is a false prophet ultimately? A prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God, someone who claims that they have truth from God. So a false prophet is someone who is sharing something with others that is not based on the word of God. For Jesus in John chapter 17 and verse 17, he told us, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is what? Truth. God's word is truth. And so anyone that shares with you anything that is not based on God's word, they are ultimately a false prophet. Not in the sense of of Harold Camping, but in the sense that they are not sharing a message from God. The margin between truth and error is minimal, minimal. That's why deception is so powerful, because it's almost like the real deal, but not quite. It is so close, yet so far away. Let me illustrate. Notice this word up on the screen. You probably haven't come across this word, have you? No, it's not a word um, that we have in our dictionary. Let me break this word up into three words, and that might help. Or four words, I should say. God is nowhere. That's how you can spell this one word. God is nowhere. Or you can spell this word like this. God is now here. Is there a difference between these two sentences? Absolutely. There is a world of difference. What have we done? We have just simply moved one letter. We have moved the W at the end of N-O instead of at the beginning of here. And we have a world of difference. That's how deception works. Deception is so close to the original, but it is it is deadly dangerous. And that's why the enemy is a deceiver. And that's why Jesus said the very first thing that Jesus said when he gave signs of his coming and signs of the destruction of Jerusalem, he said, watch out. There'll be great deception just before a return. Now, you may be thinking, will there be some serious signs out there warning me of false prophets and false Christ. Do I really have to be concerned? Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24 verses 24 and onwards. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great what? 
great signs or great miracles and wonders to deceive, if possible, even who? The very elect. Who are the elect? The elect are those that claim to be Christians, those who claim to be followers of Christ, those who claim to read the Bible. Jesus says, watch out. And he says, look, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Now, this statement of Jesus is astounding. Why is that? You may not have picked this up before. It's astounding because Jesus moves from false Christs, plural, to false Christ. He is in the singular. What Jesus here is warning us about is that before he comes, there will be someone that will seek to deceive the world into believing that he is the Christ who is long awaited and he has arrived. Now, who do you think that might be that will want to steal the attention of God's people for himself and claim that he is the Christ? It's Satan. Absolutely. He is the one. He is the one that wants to deceive the world when it matters most. Do we do we have anywhere in Scripture where where we can see some more evidence for this possibly taking place? Notice what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14. He writes, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Satan has the power to transform himself into an angel of light. So unless we know God's word, unless we are grounded in God's word, even the elect can be deceived. Even the elect can be deceived. Jesus goes on and he shares what his coming will look like. Notice these words, Matthew 24, verse 27. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. This Satan will not be able to duplicate. Satan will not be able to counterfeit this all important sign. When Jesus comes, he will not appear here. He will not appear there to a group of people. You will not have to turn on your TV to realize that Jesus has come. You won't see him on the news. Every eye will see him, the book of Revelation says. As lightning comes from the east and shines to the west, every single person will be able to see the coming of Jesus. Extremely important that we read God's word, we study it, we follow it. God's word is absolutely fundamental. We must know God's word. This is the most important sign of all. It's, it's elementary, as they say. It's of no use to you and to me to know all these signs that we've looked at thus far and not know God's word. For knowing God's word is what matters most at the end of the day. And that's why this is the most important sign of all. Let me illustrate how important it is to know God's word. Several years ago, two or three, not quite sure, uh, my mother and I were discussing and chatting. She lives um, down near, uh, down in Victoria in a place called Pylong. Has anyone heard of Pylong? No, you haven't. No one here heard of Pylong. It's a place near a, a, a town called Kilmore. Anyone heard of Kilmore? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you, have you heard of Melbourne? Anyone here heard of Melbourne? Okay. It's about an hour and a half away from Melbourne. They live on this beautiful four-acre hobby farm. And anyway, I'm chatting to my mum. We, we kind of try and talk as often as we can. And she says to me, Danny, guess what? I'm like, what? She goes, you wouldn't believe 
what's taking place in our little town there in Kilmore. Um, there is a circulation of fake $50 bills. And I think I have some counterfeit $50 bills. And I'm like, really? I mean, nothing ever happens in Pylong. Okay, nothing ever happened. And all of a sudden there is news. And, um, and she says, this is, this is the story. And she begins sharing with me. She says, why don't you check your $50 bills to see you may have a counterfeit $50 bill as well. And I'm like, okay, so I scramble around the house. I don't have any money like that floating around in my wallet. So guess where I had to go? I had to go talk to my wife and ask her to give me money from her wallet. Isn't that how it goes? Well, it goes like that in my family. And anyway, she kindly gave me two $50 notes or several $50 notes. And as I'm talking with my mum, she says, this is a counterfeit $50 bill if you have this. And I'm like, what? And you can see it up there on the screen. My mum was trying to share with me that that top picture that you see there of the $50 is a counterfeit because it doesn't have the name of the person. See that there? Can you all see that? Can you see something there? Edith Cowan. That's supposedly the original. The top one is the fake. And I'm like, really? And she says, there's more, Danny. And I'm like, okay, turn to the back. So I turn to the back and she says, the original, the original one not only has the name at the bottom, of the individual whose picture is in the $50 bill. But at the top there in this, in this corner over here, you have the governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia ahead of the secretary to the treasurer. If it has it the other way around, it's a fake, it's a fraud, it's a counterfeit. And I'm like, really? And she says to me, really? Well, while I'm chatting to her on the phone, I decide that I'm going to check this out. So I decide to go to the Reserve Bank of Australia website to check this out, to see if this is really a genuine deal. And um, because she had read about this in the newspaper, that there were these $50 um, uh, counterfeit notes circulating. And there I discovered some common myths about banknotes. Notice these words. Banknotes without the printed name below the portrait are counterfeit. That is a myth. Notice the fact. A banknote without the name of the person below the portrait is not necessarily counterfeit. Printed names were added to Australian banknotes from 2002. This was done to help the public identify the people that our banknotes feature and so on and so forth. Myth. The governor's signature is always above the secretary to the treasuries. Fact, the order of the signatures on Australian banknotes was changed in 2002. Wow. I said to my mum, you don't need to go to the police with your $50 notes. You won't end up in jail. You'll be okay. You have the original note. Now, what made the difference? What made the difference was me checking out whether this was true or not with the Australian Reserve Bank. And there on the website, you have a number of, a number of ways that you can spot a counterfeit banknote. And so today, we live in a world where there is a lot of counterfeit. There is a lot of deception. How on earth are we going to know the genuine from the false? There is only one way, my friends. Only one way, and that is through what? The Word of God. The only way you'll know the truth from the error is from the Word of God. There is no other way. Notice these words from Jesus in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. 
Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my what? In my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you what? Free. The only way to know the truth is to abide in God's word. And if you and I abide in God's word, I can guarantee you, based on what Jesus has said, that you will never, ever be deceived. Isn't that good news? That's wonderful news. The elect will not be deceived as long as they abide in the word of Jesus Christ. Notice what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 concerning the times that we would be living in in particular. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to what? The Apostle Paul says the day's coming the day's coming and it began in his day. But as those labor pains intensified, as we have discovered over and over again, deception will grow and there will be more and more of God's professed people who will turn their ears away from the truth. And instead, they will focus on following fables. We live in a Christian world today. And I don't want to share this with you, but this is the reality. We live in a Christian world today where people are picking and choosing what they will believe and what they will follow from God's word. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right. We live in a Christian world that has a smorgasbord attitude towards God's truth. You know what it's like in a smorgasbord, don't you? You've been to a smorgasbord before. You can pick and choose what you want to eat. Isn't that right? You don't want to eat asparagus? You don't need to eat asparagus. You can pick and choose. There's an abundance to pick and choose. That's not how God wants us to treat His Word. God wants us to follow every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is the only way we will remain true to God. I love this poem that I came across. Um, I'm not quite sure who the author is. But it's a beautiful poem that sums up what my attitude is. And I pray that what your attitude will be to God's word. What says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me, the teachings of men so often mislead me. What says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? This my only question be, what says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? Amen. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Who cares what I think? And with all due respect, who cares what you think? Amen. What God says, that's all that matters. For God's word alone holds water. Nothing else in this world but God's word alone. God is inviting us to spend time in his word. God is inviting us to get to know Jesus through his word. We discovered the last time we were together that Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John chapter 17 and verse three, eternal life is found in knowing Jesus Christ. It is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is found in spending time with Jesus Christ. We need to get our faces into God's book rather than on Facebook, if you know what I mean. Nothing wrong with Facebook, but if Facebook's taking your eyes away from God's book, well, then there's a problem. It's time for us to spend time in God's word. And I want to encourage you 
just wherever you are, to spend more time in this book and learn of the wonderful messages that God has for us. Well, we want to go to our, to our final and our greatest sign that will usher in the grand climax of human history. This is the most important sign of all. It's part of the whole religious world signs. And notice here what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. We read these words. Tell us, when will these things be? These are, this is the disciples question. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Notice they asked, when will Jerusalem be destroyed? And as we have discovered, the disciples believe that when Jerusalem or I should say the temple would be destroyed, that's when Jesus would come. Notice what Jesus said. Oh, before we notice what Jesus said, these words are extremely important for us to remember, especially in the times that we are living in. Matthew 24 and verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is what? Not yet. Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. Don't be troubled. That's not going to be the end. That won't be the end. We have the potential to destroy this world a number of times over. But that is not the final and most important sign that we have that capability. No, Jesus said there will be something far greater, something far more important. The greatest and the most positive sign of all follows next. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And what? Then the end will come. Jesus said you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There will be pestilences. There will be earthquakes. There will be false Christs. But the end is not yet. But when the gospel, and that word there, gospel, means good news. Good news about what? Good news that Jesus is coming back soon. Good news that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Good news that God wants to save as many as are willing to be saved. That is the good news of the gospel. And this message of good news must go to all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then Jesus says, the end will come. In the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, John adds to these words of Christ. Notice these words in Revelation 14, 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. Here God, through his word in the final book of the Bible, reveals God's final message of love to the world. And it is couched in these three angels messages that we find there in the very heart of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14. It's God's final message of love to the world. Now notice the gospel. I want to give you some interesting facts. The gospel to all the world, the full Bible or part of the Bible in the year 1800 was available in some 70 languages. In the year 2016, 3000 or more languages. There are some six or seven thousand languages in the world. There are almost 1000 languages in Papua New Guinea alone. <laughs> And God's word, the good news of the gospel is going throughout the whole world. It is going through the world, through, through the various forms of media that we have today. 
People today are discovering the good news of salvation through the written word. Those who are able to read and those who have access to the Bible are able to have the Bible in their own language or parts of the Bible. Today, through the Internet, thousands, millions upon millions are discovering the good news of the gospel. They are hearing the everlasting gospel. They are hearing those three angels' messages there in Revelation 14. And maybe one day we can explore those messages together. God's message of love is going to all the world. Whilst there are wars and rumors of wars, whilst there is conflict, whilst there are earthquakes, whilst there are famines, whilst there is economic and social uncertainty, whilst all these things are going on, God's word, the gospel is going to all the world. You see, there are parts of the world where I cannot go and you cannot go and share the gospel openly. But God has devised in these last days, I believe, the Internet. And the Internet goes where humans cannot go. It goes everywhere. And today people have got these little phones, haven't they? And they've got the world literally in their hand. And through those phones, through laptops, through many other means, they are able to hear the good news of the gospel through radio. All these Media have come onto the scene of history just at the right time in human history. In fact, as I was as I was thinking about this some time ago, the Lord impressed me with this incredible fact that you may not have considered the Reformation when God began the final work of sharing the gospel to all the world through Martin Luther and those that preceded him, the Reformation was preceded by the greatest invention in human history up until that point when it comes to media and communication. And what was that? It was the invention of the Gutenberg press or the printing press. Isn't that right? So in order to springboard the Reformation, God enabled the printing press to be invented. We're now at the other end of the fulfillment of the Reformation. When God's final message of love is to go to all the world, when God's final message of truth is to go to all the world, and what has God in His wisdom allowed humans to invent? The internet. The internet. From the printing press to the internet. Could it be that this will usher in the coming of Jesus? This mode of information, availability to the masses as the Holy Spirit uses this medium for the glory of God. Had the opportunity of going to Papua New Guinea a couple of years ago there and um, had the privilege of being involved in this building program where we built a clinic, a medical clinic for a group of people that are as isolated as you could imagine. I mean, I have never, ever been to such an isolated place in my life. Uh, the particular village was called Tomobil, and it's on the border of Indonesia and Papua New Guinea. And there's only one way you can really get to, well, there's two ways that you can get to this village. One is by plane, and the other one is by walking. <laughs> this village had no electricity, had... Um, had certainly no internet, had no phones, and you were really isolated. It was like going back in time, hundreds if not thousands of years. People lived in a very primitive way. Beautiful people, lovely people. 
but they're living out there. And uh, while I was there, I conducted a program such as this. And, um, and at the end of the program, we gave individuals who wanted to share the good news of the gospel with people in their villages. We gave them what is called a God pod. Have you heard of an iPod? Yeah, we've all heard of an iPod, but this is a God pod. Now, what's a God pod? A God pod, as you can see up there on the screen, a God pod is this solar powered audio device, just like an iPod powered by the sun. They've got plenty of the sun there in Papua New Guinea, in all the villages. And on this God pod is the word of God in its entirety in the pidgin English language. Now, why is that so important? Because at least 50% of the population of Papua New Guinea cannot read or write. They're illiterate. So there's no point in giving them a Bible because the majority of them just cannot read the Bible. They don't understand. It was kind of really fascinating for me. Um, I went to the school there in the village and amongst the, uh, you, you go to the, you see the, you sit with the grade threes and the grade fours and in grade three, there are, there are children that are 10 and there are children that are 18. And they're all in grade three because they kind of get to school at different times, just when you can make it, when you have the opportunity. And so we gave these individuals the Bible in their own language. Well, not quite. Pidgin English is kind of the standard language for Papua New Guinea. As I pointed out, they have up to a thousand different languages um, throughout, throughout Papua New Guinea. And we gave them this God pod. And as I was giving this God pod to these individuals, I was realizing that we are literally fulfilling the words of Jesus. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in how much of the world? In all the world. Does that include the people of Papua New Guinea? The people who cannot read and write, the people who don't have the internet, the people who don't have radio access, the people that don't have televisions. And they're a whole heap happier than I than we are, let me tell you that. <laughs> God wants the message of the gospel to go to them. And so through the God pods, God has made an opportunity for them to hear the good news of the gospel. What will be the sign that the gospel has been preached in all the world and Jesus is on his way? You remember the the, the question of the disciples, what will be the sign of your what? of your coming and of the end of the age. The preaching of the gospel will be followed by the sign. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew 24, verse 30 and 31. These are Jesus' words. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will do what? They will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his what? His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. As we go to our next scripture, we discover in Revelation what takes place. In Revelation here, we have the words, very sad words of one group of people who will mourn. These are not the elect. These are the ones that mourn. Notice what the Bible says. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. This is that final great earthquake that will, that will completely destroy this world as we know it. An earthquake such as the world has never witnessed before, the Bible says. 
and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? They see Jesus coming in the clouds of glory. They see the sign of the Son of Man appearing with all the angels of heaven. And instead of welcoming Jesus, this greatest event in human history, instead they cry to the rocks and to the mountains to fall on them and to hide them from the Son of Man. What sad words, what words of tragedy. And they cry out, Who is able to stand? Will God have a people who are able to stand at the end of time? Will God have a people who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life? Absolutely. Notice what the Bible goes on and says. It describes this second group of people, the elect, as Jesus referred to them in Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 9. Notice these words. And it will be said in that day, speaking of the second coming of Jesus, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isn't that a wonderful promise? There will be one group who mourn and who ask for the rocks to fall on them when they see Jesus coming. And yet there will be another group altogether who will cry out, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. It's been a long wait. But he has promised he will come back again. And now we will receive him. Oh, what a day that will be. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. What a day that will be. I so long for that day. How about you? I so long for that day. I've had enough of the sin and the suffering and the sorrow of this world. I've had enough of the death and the destruction and the disease of this world. Enough. So how much longer, how much longer before God's people cry out, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will now save us. How long before we rejoice and are glad? I want to finish off by sharing with you the question that my two precious daughters would ask me every time, every time without fail. As we would leave on one of our long trips, they would ask a question three minutes into the journey. Does anyone want to guess what that question might be? Are we there yet? yet? (laughs) Are we there yet? They're my two precious girls, Jamie Lee and Genevieve, when they were young. Now they're 17 and 20 almost. And as I think about their question, are we there yet? I can just hear God hearing the question of his precious children riding in the back of this car called planet Earth that is falling apart at the seams. And God is hearing the cry of his children. He's hearing your cry when you're going through suffering and pain. When you have a terminal illness, when your family is falling apart, When you're wondering how you're going to put bread on the table, 
Jesus says, I hear your cry. Jesus says, I hear your cry. Are we there yet? Jesus, how much longer? And he says, I'm coming back soon. I'm coming back soon. Real soon. I want to finish off with this beautiful promise. This beautiful promise from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29 and verse 11, where God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and what? And a hope. That's God's plan for you, my friend. That's God's plan for me. That's God's plan for all of us. God's plans for you and for me are to give us a future and a hope. That's why the second coming is called the blessed hope. The blessed hope of the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What other hope does this world offer? There is no other hope, is there? The search for certainty. It begins and ends with the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. I pray for my government leaders and I pray that you too will pray for our government leaders, that God will give them wisdom in these turbulent and and difficult times that we live in. Times such as we have never lived in before, where there are more and more challenges that our Political leaders are facing, yes, we need to pray for them. Absolutely pray for them, pray for them. Every day pray for them. The Bible encourages us to pray for our political leaders, that God will give them wisdom and understanding. But the reality of the situation is that try as they might, there is no human solution. There is no human solution. The only true solution is Jesus Christ and His second coming. I want to be ready for that day. How about you? Today, Jesus is inviting you. Today, Jesus is inviting me. He has open hands. He has open hands. Those nail-scarred open hands are inviting you, are inviting me to come to Him. He said in Matthew chapter 11, He says, Come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come, says Jesus, come. The good news of salvation is free, is free. As Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, so too you and I can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. As God remembered Noah, God will remember you too, my friend. God will remember you too. It's time for us to come into those arms that are stretched out wide. It's time for us to come. If you want to join me today in coming into the arms of Jesus, in responding to his invitation to come, why don't you just raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful message of the gospel. Oh, Father, we have looked at, we have looked at all the turmoil and all the trouble that Jesus promised would be part and parcel of living on this sin-sick planet immediately prior to the coming of Jesus. Oh, these days of uncertainty, we have looked at all that. But now, Father, we we have looked at the most beautiful, the most encouraging, the most hope-filled sign of all, that of the preaching of the gospel to all the world. 
that would usher in the coming of Jesus. Oh, Lord, it's my prayer that each and every person here and many besides those who are watching, wherever that may be. Oh, Lord, that each one respond to the invitation of Jesus to come, come, come. Oh, bless us, Lord. I pray, keep us close to Jesus. Keep us looking up for our redemption is indeed drawing nigh. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3ABN Australia.org.au.